Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Um, hope, hope the prospect of six more weeks of class or so, five more weeks at this point, isn't getting you down too much. Hope you're encouraged to finish well. Um, and I'm excited in RUF, we're going to do a new series for these final uh, few weeks of the semester focusing on the final days of Jesus. Um, and if you read through the Gospels, the four Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of Jesus' life, uh, what you'll find is about a quarter or more of each of those books focuses, hones in on this last week of Jesus' life. So it's so important. Uh, it takes up so much space in the Bible, and it's worth us just kind of piece by piece, week by week, talking about and kind of learning and processing uh, what happens, what does Jesus endure on these, in these final weeks of his life uh, before he uh, ascends into heaven? And so uh, that's what we're going to do in the next few weeks. Uh, tonight we're going to uh, focus on what's called the triumphal entry, and uh, it's what we celebrate on Palm Sunday, which is this Sunday. And, uh, and then the f- next week at RUF we'll focus on the crucifixion, and the week after that the resurrection. And I'm excited uh, the week after that to focus on the ascension, what it means that Jesus uh, is, has ascended into heaven now, and, uh, and then we're going to wrap up our series by talking about Pentecost, uh, this moment where uh, God uh, sends his spirit, uh, kind of the culmination of Jesus' work. And so uh, tonight, anyway, we're going to look at this passage uh, that's usually called the triumphal entry, and this is, uh, Jesus has mostly been elsewhere, like in Galilee, in the north of Israel, during the three years or so that he's been doing miracles, healing people, and teaching. And uh, now, though, at this point in the story, he's showing up in Jerusalem, uh, which is where the temple is, which is a big deal. Uh, This is kind of like the place for Israel. Like, if you were going to go somewhere to make an impact, you would go to Jerusalem. And so that's where Jesus ends up going to at this point in uh, his ministry. And so I'll read this passage for us, and we'll spend some time examining it. So this is from Matthew 21. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. 
And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Uh, Let's pray again. Uh, Father, would you guide us as we look at your word? uh, Would you show us your truth? And would your truth set us free, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Drink of water here quick. Um, So a lot of you know, I've mentioned this often, that I'm entering this stage of life where I'm re-entering the world of Disney, Pixar, uh, all those movies that maybe you grew up with or that have kind of come out since you've grown up. Uh, Frozen being kind of the pinnacle of that in my household (laughs) right now. And um, it's been fun to re-enter that world. And what I've kind of re-remembered is that uh, these movies have to, to be successful, they have to appeal to children and adults, right? Like, you can't, it has to, like, to be really successful, it has to be, like, awesome and super entertaining for both kids and adults. And, like, these movies, because of that, are roller coaster rides. Like, the whole time, like, they're more exciting than any other movie out there because it has to like it has to be to hold children's attention spans and to keep parents interested and so there's all these moments where it's like oh it's they're gonna live happily ever after oh no like something horrible happened again and then like oh but it's all gonna work out and it does this like up and down up and down thing like all all these movies end that way now and what i want us to see about this story is that it won't make much sense unless you see it as a the culmination of a roller coaster story Uh, And that roller coaster ride is really the whole Bible up to this point, primarily the Old Testament. And if you read through the Old Testament, if you were to sit down and read through it all the way, you would see all these ups and downs, beginning on the very first page. You know, God creates a world and it's good. But then it falls apart because Adam and Eve reject God. But then God promises to save them. But then all this wickedness enters the world. But then there's this flood and there's this new start with Noah. But that doesn't help anything either. And eventually it goes on and on until, you know, there's this promise that God is going to establish a people. You know, he chooses a people group named Israel. And he's like, I'm going to use you to save the world. And that sounds really good. But then they go into slavery in Egypt for 430 years. But then they get rescued miraculously by Moses through the parting of the Red Sea. But then they go into the wilderness and they start worshiping a golden calf. Like what? And then and they're fighting all the time and they're complaining. But then God still brings them, again, miraculously into the promised land that he had promised them all along. The place where he was going to establish them. Uh, but then there's all these enemies that hate them. And, uh, and finally, there's a king, a good king named David, and things are looking good. Uh, but then there's all, you know, David has tons of flaws that we looked at a couple weeks ago, if you were here. And, uh, and then there's all these other descendants of David that, you know, some are okay and some are really bad. And some are, you know, okay again. And uh, it kind of culminates with this promise that God's going to use Israel to save the world is still in place. And uh, it culminates, though, with Israel being conquered and Jerusalem being reduced to rubble and then the people coming back after they've been conquered years later and finding their city in ruins. And there's a promise that comes to them, which is right up here, from a prophet named Zechariah, which is, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. 
you see what he's saying there? There's a king com- the king will fix this. There's a bottom line in all of the Bible as it culminates, which is we need a king. Only a king sent from God can fix this mess. I wonder if you ever feel like you live in the midst of an unfixable mess. Like maybe some aspects of your life uh, are okay and you can fix them, but there's just some aspects of your life that like, no, that's never going to be fixed. I can't see how that would ever happen. Or do you ever feel like maybe, you know, what I really need in life is just a do-over. If I could start over, things would be better. Or do you just ever look around at our world and see the brokenness and kind of just feel overwhelmed by that? I feel that about when I hear about all these shootings that are in the news and it's just like everyone's kind of talking back and forth. We should get rid of guns. We should give teachers guns, which is the worst idea, I think. Um, But no matter what, I don't don't care what you think about that. I'm not here to talk about that. But, uh, you know, and it's just kind of like, well, what will ever fix this? You know, like, we could get rid of guns, but, like, we can't fix the reason why people think that's a good idea. And that's just, like, one little issue. And the Bible's answer to all these questions is we need a king sent from heaven to fix this. Uh, and a, there's a, lot, a big component of our world that would say if our technology can advance enough, if we can get the right laws in place, uh, if we can evolve enough, uh, whatever the case may be, things can be fixed. And, you know, if you're rich and you live a pretty sheltered life, then, you know, I could see how that might make sense. It might be easy to believe that. But uh, what you need to see about Christianity is that it won't make much sense to you if you're not waiting on a king. You know that you need a king. And if so, there's good news in this passage because this is saying that the king has come and his name is Jesus. And Jesus is not just a king. Jesus is the humble king that we need. So I want to just spend a few minutes noticing how Jesus is the king in this passage. Uh, This is the the passage where he announces that he's the king. And what you need to see here is that Jesus is orchestrating this whole scene. Like, Jesus knows exactly what he's doing from the details of, like, go get the donkey from here. Uh, but even on, as a bigger picture, like, he knows exactly what he's doing because the passage before this is really interesting because there's a couple of blind men as he's walking along that say, Son of David, have mercy on us. Heal us. And uh, Son of David was a title of this king that was often used in the Old Testament. So, like, if you responded to the title, if someone said, Son of David, and you were like, yes, you would be saying, I'm the king. Like, I'm the one that God has sent. And up to this point, like, there's been a lot of Jesus' ministry where he's kind of been like, you know, his disciples are like, are you going to tell everyone who you are yet? Like, when are you going to do this? And he's like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Uh, But this is the moment where people are saying, like, son of David, and he's like, yep, that's who I am. And he healed, like, right before this, he responds to the title son of David, and he miraculously heals two blind men. Uh, So he would know that stuff is about to go down in Jerusalem. Um, When I was a kid, I was a skateboarder. Anybody a skateboarder? One skateboarder in the room. (laughs) Cool. And he works for RUF. Um, So one of the... You've probably seen on TV, like, the X Games, and the half pipe is kind of like the, you know, the half pipe. You know what this is? The ramp that's, like, shaped like a U. And uh, the thing about skateboarding is that if you watch it on TV, if you watch someone going up and down in a half pipe, or snowboarding, for that matter, 
it doesn't look that complicated, but I wonder if you've ever stood on the ledge of a ramp like that and realized what it takes to just start going down that ramp. I tried this once and failed miserably uh, because what it takes is like your board, your, your board that you're standing on is horizontal, uh, parallel with the ground, and to drop in, you need to turn so that it is now perpendicular to the ground because the top of that ramp is vertical. So you you have to go like you basically have to throw all your weight forward and you're like this instantly, and if you don't, like you will just like skid across on your butt. Okay, um, so. It's this point where there's no coming back and it takes utter commitment. And what you need to see is that that's what Jesus has just done by responding to the title Son of David. People called him the Son of David and he delivered. And he knows how the people, he knows that some people are going to be really happy about that and some people are going to hate him for it, particularly all the religious leaders in Jerusalem. These are people, the people who are excited about, they've been living their whole lives for the moment when the son of David would show up. Like, this has been ingrained in them. This is their life. And, and so they're laying their cloaks on the ground because cloaks are a sign of submission. You know, if you did that, you would be showing that you're submitting to the king. And the palm branches that they wave are signs of, you know, Israel, like uh, Jewish nationalism and victory. And what you need to see about Jesus here is he's humble. Like, we're going to talk a lot about how Jesus is a humble king, but he is not modest. Jesus is humble, but he's not modest. He doesn't say, oh, stop, stop, settle down, settle down. Don't overdo it. He receives it. He welcomes it when they say, Hosanna to the king. Uh, people are creating this huge scene around him being the king, and he accepts it. Uh, it's the point of no return. He's essentially saying, this is who I am, and you need to either, listen to this, you need to either crown me or kill me. This is the point of no return. A lot of what we'll talk about over the next few weeks as we look at these final days of Jesus is just that. How will you respond to, the, to who the Bible says that Jesus is? Um, you know, you can love him, or you can hate him, but you know what makes very little sense? Being kind of lukewarm toward him. You know, um, and what I hope we'll see uh, is that there's a lot about our lives that don't make sense. There's a lot about all of our lives. There's parts of our lives that we don't want Jesus to be the king over. Uh, but saying, you know, you can have this part of my life, but not that part of my life, makes no sense. Jesus is the king. He's the king of the universe, and he says... I want all of you, or I want none of you. And living with him as your king is really the, is, is the only way that anything can be fixed. So kind of a quick way to think about that is, maybe a litmus test is, do you pray? You know, the easiest way to know if Jesus is your king is, do you pray? Because when we don't pray, what we're saying is, no, nah, I got this. I can handle this. Uh, or, you know, another question you might think about is what areas of life is God absent from for you? You know, what areas of life does God not have a say in? Maybe it's who you date or who your friends are. Maybe it's what career you're pursuing or how you manage your time or the way you relate to your family. Uh, are you living your life like you need a king? Or are you just living your life like, oh, God can help me remove a couple roadblocks, but I'm pretty much good? And we need to see that there's a bottom line here. Jesus is either the king 
or he's nothing. And now that presents a problem for us, though, because it's too ingrained in me not to submit. Like, I am suspicious of authority. Uh, A king, and the problem with that is that a king can tell me what to do. A king uh, can say, like, you need to do this, and I have to listen because he's the king, even if it's going to be really hard. Uh, There's a way that Christians are called to live that's costly. Uh, It goes against every, it goes against the grain of everything uh, that we experience in the world around us. And, you know, I've talked to a lot, I've been here seven years now, and I've talked to a lot of students over the years, some of whom were Christians and some were not. And, you know, one of the biggest things that people with, that are not Christians struggle with is this. You know, this all sounds good, RUF is nice, but how could I really give my life over? How could I really hand my life over in that way? That's not realistic to do, to utterly change my life around because I now acknowledge that there is a king. And that's when I think, you know, you haven't met, you haven't truly seen the king yet. You need to meet the king. And we meet him here. Because Jesus is not just any king, but Jesus is a humble king. He's the humble king that we need. Uh, There's a reason most people reject Jesus, right? We don't want a king. We live in a country, the United States, that was founded on the principle, like, we don't want a king. Because kings look out for themselves before they look out for uh, what the people need. It's always been this way. But the prophecy that's mentioned here in our passage from Zechariah says, there would one day come a king that was humble. And humble king is an oxymoron, right? Like it's like jumbo shrimp. It didn't, these things don't go together. Kings aren't humble. Why would they be? People who have power can't stay humble. Powerful people in our world exploit people. They don't serve people. You know, this year, the school year has been interesting because all along the way there's been like Hollywood star after Hollywood star and politician after politician. And it's been revealed that they've been exploiting people in sexual ways, right? There's like a new story every few weeks or so. And, you know, why, why would people like that do things like that? And the obvious answer is because they wanted to and because they could. Because they have power. They had power in their relationship, and so they could get away with a lot. Uh, There was a famous Englishman, a scholar named Lord Acton, who lived in the 1800s, and he said this. He said, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men. It's true, right? Like, if you just dig deep in the lives of every politician or every Hollywood star, like, guess what you're going to find? Probably that. Great men are almost always bad men. And I want you to think about that. And then I want you to picture the king of the universe riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Have you seen a donkey lately and how pathetic they look? Back then, if you were a conquering king, you found the biggest and baddest horse to, like, strut into the city on, and you most certainly wouldn't ride on a donkey because a donkey is what a peasant would ride. A donkey is what a servant would ride. And what does it mean that Jesus, the king, shows up here as a servant? 
means that he's come not to exploit us. Jesus doesn't want to be part of your life to exploit you, but because he wants to save you. Why do we need to be saved? Because we're servants who have put ourselves in the place of the king. That's what sin, if you wanted to define what sin is, it's that. It's a, a servant putting themselves in the place of a king. And one of the most basic ways we do it is just by saying things like, I know how my life is supposed to go. I know what's best for me. I get to decide. That's the language of a servant putting themselves in the place of a king. And you know what? It's offensive to the king. We don't deserve to be included in that kingdom, except that there is a humble king who has now put himself in the place of a servant. You see how he undoes sin? If sin is a servant putting himself in the place of the king, the only way to undo it, the only way to save, is for a king to come and put himself in the place of a servant. Uh, That's what salvation is. And we can see it happening as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the people yell something interesting. They yell, Hosanna. Not a word we use anymore, right? It's an Aramaic term, and what it actually means is, oh, please save Please save. So, you know, it's kind of the way that, you know how English people say, like, God save the queen or something like that? Uh, That's kind of what they're saying here. Hosanna to the son of David meant God save him so he can save us. But what Jesus knew the moment that he dropped in was that he was riding to his death. The way that the humble king would save us is if God, the Father, would let him go. So Jesus took servanthood to its fullest extent, which was death, so that we could be saved, so that we could live and serve God the way life was meant to be. I talked a little while ago about how we all resist Jesus as king because we all know there's a cost, right? Being a Christian, living like a Christian is hard. Being a Christian means you have to start to think about serving others before you serve yourself. Being a Christian might might mean missing out on some of the pleasures of life that some people around us seem to be enjoying. But what you need to know is that if you come to this humble king, you'll become like him. And living like him will be hard. You know, like serving others instead of yourself is hard but it won't be burdensome. Because that's what you were made for. And Jesus comes to save so that he can make us back into what we were made for. So I want to close by praying that God would be at work doing that to us even now. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we don't know the full extent of how bad we need a king and how uh, offensive it is the way that we try to govern our lives and uh, exercise control over the world around us uh, without acknowledging you. And uh, we pray that we would come to know you as king uh, and most importantly as the humble king. And we pray that you would, uh, as you rule our lives, make us humble, make us into the people we were meant to be all along. Uh, Give us grace uh, to make that so, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.